0: Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to bed, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives rest to his beloved sheep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the burden of truth that uh, it places on our hearts as your spirit makes it understandable to us. Pray that you would uh, bless us this morning as we receive your word. May your spirit apply it in our lives and may we live it out practically. Father, we thank you for the uh, celebration of independence that we enjoy On July 4th, we think of the uh, lives that paid for freedom uh, through many battles and difficulties. Uh, Father, we thank you also for the Lord Jesus and the victory that he won. We confess that uh, we've not been redeemed with futile things, with temporal things. And even as we look at the deterioration we see around us in the world and sometimes feel a sense of bittersweetness uh, knowing that we are as we have departed from your word as a nation uh, we have declined and we thank you that uh, such will not be the case with the work that Christ has accomplished may this ever be before uh, be before us Lord Uh, bless us today as we receive your word in Jesus name amen
1: unless the Lord builds the house I enjoy watching basketball um, i don 't watch it a ton, but i when I do watch it, I enjoy it and I, and I enjoy checking stats basketball stats after the game i like I like looking and seeing how the players did you know there 's like there 's numeric evidence as to how well they played and one of the most interesting stats from a basketball game is called the plus minus stat it it shows you so it shows you. Um, while that player was on the court, not while he was on the bench, but when he was out there playing, how well his team did. So if he was like a plus seven, it means that his team outscored the other team by seven points while he was on the court. If he's a minus like 21, we see he's a liability out there. He's a, he, he shouldn't even be out there. His team did way worse while he was on the floor. He should have just been on the bench. Sometimes we think about that with uh, politicians, right? Did, did things, were they a net gain or were they a net loss? Did things get better while they served? As they, while they served as president or as senator or governor? They, they worked hard, I'm sure. They worked hard, I'm sure. I, I'm sure. I'm positive they're working hard. They, they must be, right? Uh, but was it worth it? Was their labor in vain, Was there labor in vain? Was it all for nothing? Was it a net loss? You would probably agree with me this morning um, that you want your time on earth, your 70 or 80 years, or whatever it is the Lord gives you, maybe more, maybe less, whatever it is the Lord gives you, you want to have this um, reassurance. You want to know... You want this comfort. You want this assurance that your time is being well spent. That you're not a you're not a, you're not a minus twenty one. You're not a you you're you're not a net loss. You're a gain. You're, th- that things are better because you've been here on earth. Um, I, we probably don't spend a lot of time like explicitly thinking about that, but I think it's one of those the, those those questions that's always in our mind. Sort of a subconscious thing. Most of us uh, aren't like uh, Charlie Brown. You know, the old I love I love old Charlie Brown comics, old Peanuts comics. I love them. If I see a book of Charlie Brown comics, I'll probably I'm like a moth to a to a light. I'll probably just go over there, no matter what else is going on in my life. I'll probably just go over there and start reading that book of Charlie Brown comics because I love them. They're 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 funny to me. I have a, I have an irrational affection for Charlie Brown and his 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 gang there. And I, one, of the, one of the comics that I love uh, the, is the one where, and there's, there's a bunch of them like this, but Charlie Brown is just kind of, it's, it's midnight, you know, the moon is out, and he's lying in bed, and he's wide awake, and he's asking these big philosophical questions, like, what, why is he here? He, it's this, an this eight-year-old kid, you know, why am I here? What is life all about? And what does it even matter? And all that stuff. Um, maybe you don't do that. But we do want to know that... Um, Our life on earth is time well spent. We'd we'd like to know that. We'd like to know that things are better because we've been here. Things are better because we've been here. This psalm gets at that idea a little bit. This psalm takes one angle at that idea. This psalm doesn't, this is not comprehensive, this is not everything there is to say about the subject, uh, but this psalm gives us some, some stuff to think about when we are thinking about that question. Because this psalm tells us that only the Lord, only the Lord can make sure that our labor is not in vain. Only the Lord can make sure that our lives matter. That, uh, only the Lord can make sure that our time on earth is time well spent. This psalm gives us three ways the Lord does that. Three things the Lord does that that ensures that our time on this earth is time well spent. So we're going to look at those three ways together. Number one, first thing the Lord does is the Lord builds the house and keeps the city. The Lord builds the house and keeps the city. Verse 1 and 2 Say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. So what are these verses teaching us? Let's think about let's think about what these verses are saying. They're saying something something negative, for sure, but then there's a positive flip side to it, isn't there? Because it's saying that there is a lot of labor in this life that's just in vain. It's empty. It's pointless. There is people who build. There there, there are people who build um, houses. There are people who keep cities, who, who protect cities. There are people who do this hard work in vain. So there's labor that's It's empty. It's meaningless. But then there's also labor, though, that's not in vain. Because what's what's being implied here? That that if the Lord does build the house, then then those who are in on that building project, those who are being used by Him to, to, to do that, to accomplish that, they're not in vain. There, it's not empty. It's not meaningless. There's 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 a way in which God uses us to build the house. There's a way in which God uses us to keep the city. Um, Though the ESV, almost every I think every translation that I checked uses "watches over the city." There at the end of verse 1, the watchman stays awake in vain. But the the word is keep. It's the same exact word that we saw over and over in Psalm 121. It's the word keep. It's it's, it's what Adam was called to do in the garden. He was called to keep it, which, which not only means physically protect it, but spiritually protect it. And what we see here is because of the fall, Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord keeps the city, we labor in vain. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what are we talking about here? What, what, kind, of, what kind of house are we talking about here? Because I think if we look around, we can think of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of houses... That have been built by what we would call godless people, right? There are a lot of people who build houses and protect cities um, that have, and and they don't trust in the Lord at all. They they don't care about God at all. They're not interested in serving God or or obeying God. It there's there's nothing to do with the Lord, with with their the house that they've built and with the city that they protect. We look around and and we see Solomon, who wrote this psalm. Solomon must be thinking about something else. He can't possibly be thinking about the houses that you and I live in, because who knows who built those those things, and and who knows if those people who built those houses were trusting God when they built them and serving God. Who who knows? It it can't be just the houses that we see in our neighborhoods. It can't just be the cities here on earth. What What is Solomon talking about? He's talking about the only house... That in the end, truly matters. Solomon has in mind here, he's referring to um, a story that he's up close and personal with. Second Samuel chapter 7, Solomon's father David, wants to build the Lord a house. Now when David says to the Lord, "God, I want to build you a house." David is thinking about a structure. He's thinking about, you know, four walls and a door. He's, he's, he's saying, it's ridiculous, God, that I go and I live in a house. I, I have a bed to sleep in. I have a four walls. I have a roof. I, I, it's, it's crazy that I have a house. and You don't. You need a permanent structure to dwell in, God, David says to, to the Lord in 2 Samuel 7. The Lord says, no, David. Nope. You're not going to build me a house. The Lord says to David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house. So what kind of house does the Lord build? What did the Lord mean when he told David he was going to build him a house? He meant a kingdom. He meant a family. He meant generations who would follow after David. He, in fact, he meant a kingdom that would be that would that would be forever. Second Samuel seven sixteen says, God says to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the kind of house that the Lord is building. It's not a house made with hands. It's not a house with four walls and a front door. This is a house that the, that, that that lasts forever. So when we think. The Lord is building a house. We have to to get the idea of the Lord like putting together a a three-bedroom ranch in a cul-de-sac somewhere. We've got to get that idea out of our head. We're talking about the the family that God promised to David. It's the the same. It's an extension of the family God promised to David. Abraham. It's the, it's the family that Jesus was born into. It's the family that Jesus died to bring us into. It's the family of God. It's the kingdom that lasts forever. How is it that, that David's throne shall be established forever? It's because there's going to be a king who's going to reign. A king who will die, but then be raised again to never die again. How can this be? How can one of David's descendants rule and reign forever? How is this possible? How is this possible that the Hebrews talks about this kingdom that can never be shaken? Joel talked about in his prayer. We see the kingdom, the the earthly kingdom we live in, we see it being shaken, and we take great comfort in knowing that the, the, the kingdom of Jesus is never going to be shaken. How is this possible? because this is the the house that the Lord is building. This is the city that God himself is keeping. Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There is a city that is perfectly secure, and it is forever secure, because this designer and builder is God himself. So when we think, when we think about, "Does does my time here on earth matter? Is is my time here on earth a net gain? Is it overall, is it is it worth it that I've been here? Our first answer to that question has to it has to reckon with. That, 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 there, are, that there are houses that are being built and there are cities that are being kept that are not worth our effort. They are not they are not worth our effort. Ecclesiastes talks about building and securing and then dying. And who knows who we even live leave this to after we die. We want nothing to do with that. So we want to be in on this house that the Lord is building. This city that cannot be shaken. This kingdom that will not fall. We want to be in on that. And we see from this a strong hint here in this psalm that the Lord uses us to do this, that the, that the Lord bring, that the Lord uses our labor so that it's not in vain, so that it is, that it's working with this in this building project that the Lord has going on. So what's the strategy? right That brings us to our second, Way the Lord uses us. What's the strategy? How, what is God's method here? What, how does God use us to build His eternal house? To establish this eternal city? How does God use us? Now, again, this psalm does not answer, does not answer, give every answer to that question. This psalm, there, there's, there's many more questions, or many more answers in the Bible to that question. But this, so we're going to focus on the, the psalm, the, the, the answer that this psalm gives. The strategy that's in this particular psalm. Alright, so that brings us to the second way the Lord ensures that our life here on earth is time well spent. Number two, the Lord gives us baby-shaped arrows. The Lord gives us baby-shaped arrows. I'm not talking about that weird Valentine's Day thing. All right? I'm not talking about like, those weird babies that shoot arrows at people's hearts and somehow that's like Love, I'm not talking about that. I don't, I don't understand the idea behind that. I've never Googled it. I'm never going to, but don't. I don't know what that is. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that weird thing. I'm talking about the Lord giving us baby-shaped arrows. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There are um, some people, uh, nobody that I know of that I respect, but there there are some people who want to say that Psalm 127 is like two different poems. It doesn't really belong together. They goofed it up somehow when they were putting it in the Bible or when they're recording it. It's just a, it doesn't, they don't, those, like verses 1 and 2 are their own thing and verses 3 through 5 are their own thing. No. No, 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 no. Verses 3 through 5 are explicitly built on verses 1 and 2. This is telling us how the Lord ensures that our labor is not in vain. This is telling us how the Lord brings us in on his house-building projects. He gives us baby-shaped arrows. Now, I want to say a couple of things first. One, again, this is not the only way the Lord uses us to build his kingdom. And number two, this is not the only w- reason that children are a wonderful blessing from the Lord. They're not only arrows, right? I'm not saying that. But we have to look at this psalm and see this is absolutely one big way God uses his people to build his kingdom. He gives us children. He gives us babies. He gives us sons and daughters. And they are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. If you track through Scripture, just think with me for a couple minutes on this. When you track through the story of Scripture, when God declares war on sin and Satan and death and hell, so often... God makes a big move in the story of redemption, of, of bringing the story of redemption to its, to its final conclusion. How does God move the story along? By promising a baby. So many times. So many times God declares war against Satan by promising a baby. If you remember, Adam, the first man called to keep a city. The city was a garden. But Adam was called to keep it. To keep it spiritually secure. He was called to keep it physically secure, but he was called to keep it spiritually secure. And he failed. He failed. He and Eve believed the serpent. He and and Eve rejected the promise and the word of God. Does God leave them in their sin? Leave them to their own devices? No. God declares war on sin and Satan. And how does he do that? He He promises a baby. He promises a baby. When the people of Israel are in dire straits in the beginning of 1 Samuel, what does God give to to brokenhearted, to barren Hannah? What does God give to to ancient, as good as dead, doubting Sarah? Sarah is laughing and doubting, and then she has a baby, and then she's laughing with joy. What does God promise to a young virgin named Mary, the beginning of the New Testament. How does God declare war against sin and Satan? He does it by giving children. Babies are God's arrows. So right now, how is God building His house? How is He building His kingdom? How is He building His church? Again, there are many answers to that question in the Word of God. Here's a big one. This is a big one. By giving His people Children. Sons and daughters. And now, as we work hard to raise our children, we work hard to train them. And it is hard work. Those of you who have raised children, you know it's probably the hardest thing you've ever done. We work hard to live as good examples. We work hard to teach them the Word of God. We work hard to point them to the Gospel every day. And we hope and we pray that God blesses our labors. We we hope and we pray that as... God is building His house and as He is establishing this indestructible city that he, will, that he will build His house by shaping our children into arrows. When my children fly someday from my house, I want them to fly as arrows against Satan and sin and death and hell. I want them to be poised to be confident in the Gospel. I want them poised to be faithful to their spouse, faithful to the Word of God, ready to joyfully live for His glory come what may. I want them to be the kind of people that Satan hates. I don't know if Satan will have any idea they exist. Satan's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, but I want them to be the kind of people that he hates. I want them to be like arrows stuck in his throat. Verse 5 is this beautiful verse that's completely lost to us. We just, well, what is going on here? Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with with children. And so that's just a fun mental picture. And then he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. What, what are we talking about? I studied it out, and then I fell in love with this verse. I almost, I almost loved this verse so much that I started crying thinking about it. Um, there was a time in the Old Testament when a, when a man would go and he would have to defend his honor at the gate his enemies would be accusing him his enemies would be would be trying to dishonor him to shame him and he would go and he would stand before them and he would argue with them he would speak with them he would he would defend himself before them and he would bring his adult children with him and so here is this man and he is he is he has all of his adult children there and they are they are his they are his social standing. They are his legal representation. They are saying, you are not going to dishonor our father. You are not going to shame our father. You're not going to speak that way about our father. My, my dad is 80 years old. He has six adult children. He's never going to go to the city gates and debate his enemies. He never, he never is. And there's probably not even a good, like, he's probably not even going to ever be in a situation that's sort of our modern um, take on that. But if he ever needed to go and defend his honor anywhere, he would have six adult children there defending his honor, saying, you're not going to talk about our father that way. But it's not just about the father's honor, it's It's more than that because enemies here doesn't just mean people who are sort of like debating him or trying to sue him for something or something like that. The the, the idea here, enemies in the Old Testament means unbelievers. It means godless people. It means people who reject the word of God and the glory of God. It means they're lining up against this man because he belongs to God. So so now that amplifies this verse, doesn't it? It tells us that these these children are gathered around their dad and and they're not only defending his honor, they're defending the honor of the Lord. They're defending the gospel. They're defending the, the grace and the word of God. They're carrying on the faith that's been handed down to them from their dad. They're carrying on the gospel that's been taught them by their dad. They're carrying on his love for the word of God. It's been handed down to them And they're going to stand with him in it. This is my prayer. This is my prayer. That my children, my children are all, uh, they're all, as far as I know, they're all smarter than me. As far as I can tell, they're all smarter than me. Um, they're, They're all, They're not more opinionated than I am, but they're just as opinionated as I am. And so I have no doubt that when they're old like I am, they're going to have their own ideas, and they're going to have things that like Dad, he just got this wrong. He didn't. He didn't get that right. I wouldn't do things that way. I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to have things like that. But my prayer is that they um, have seen in me, and they have learned from me, and God has given them, as they've been in my house, a love for the Word of God that that is the thing that we have in common, that we have the word of God in common, we have the glory and the the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in common, that we have the grace of God in common, that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ in common, and living lives that are worthy of that in common. We may disagree on secondary issues, and they can just be wrong, and it's fine, I don't care. But I want them to honor the Lord. I want to honor the Lord until I die, and I want them to see that in me, and love that in me by God's grace, and honor that same Lord until they die. And this verse, this this psalm is saying, here's one of the ways, one of the ways that God ensures that our labor is not in vain, that, that our time on earth outlives us. There's, there's good that's, that comes from our few days on this earth that's that's good, that matters, that's not in vain. God God blesses our labors by using us to build his house, and one way he does that is by giving us baby-shaped arrows. Now the third thing thing this psalm teaches us, the third way the Lord is kind to us, the the third way the Lord gives us assurance and, and comfort, number three, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. The last way that the Lord ensures that our time on earth is well spent. He gives his beloved sleep. Verse 2, one more time. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That, that phrase there, um, eating the bread of anxious toil, that is directly lifted from Genesis 3. Where God, tells, where God tells Adam and Eve, life is going to be hard now. Life is going to be hard because of the curse. You are going to eat the bread of anxious toil. It's, it's, it's translated a little bit different in Genesis 3, but it's the same Hebrew phrase. For many of us in this room, um, this psalm, these ideas make us sad. Sad. We are, I mean, in some ways we're thankful, but in some ways we just feel, we feel guilty, or we feel heartbroken, or we feel foolish or incompetent, or we just feel just overall sad. These are, these, are, these are hard verses for some of us. Perhaps some of us have never been able to have children. Perhaps some of us have, have had children who died young, or some of us have had children who have grown to adults, but they're not living for the Lord. We're not even sure if they're Christians. So this is just, there's a lot in here to wrestle with. To think about. To sort through. And it's hard. What is this psalm saying to us? It's saying, lie down and sleep. It's saying, if you are in Christ, if you are the Lord's beloved... If you believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ, if He is your King, if He is your Savior, if God has done that work in your heart, if your only hope is what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save you from your sins, if that's true of you, then the Lord wants to give you peace. The Lord wants to give you rest. No matter what your backstory is or what your ongoing story is, the Lord wants to give you a good night's sleep. So I'm going to wrap up this sermon Um, by giving you three restful thoughts. Don't fall asleep now. Wait. But when it's time to go to sleep, at the appropriate time, here's a few restful thoughts for you. Number one, the Lord builds his house. I give some version of this answer maybe every week to someone. I mean, why is it that you have some parents who... I mean, they have, for instance, they have three, three adult children. Two of them love the Lord, are faithful to Him, are serving Jesus. And then one of them wants nothing to do with Jesus. Why is that? What is happening there? I don't know. But I do know that the Lord builds His house. I know that we are responsible for our actions and for our failings. But I also know you can't get your kids saved. You can't change their hearts. You can't make them believe the gospel. You can't can't decide what they love and what they don't love, who they love and who they don't love. Only the Lord can build his house. So work hard, but sleep hard, and leave the things you can't understand to the Lord. He builds his house. Second restful thought you have to get some sleep because you have much meaningful work to do. Are you alive this morning? Do a quick, quick check. It's fine, no problem. Check your pulse. I think, I think I am. Yep. If you're alive, you have much meaningful work to do. Maybe, maybe you still have opportunities to speak the truth to your adult children. If you do, take those opportunities. Maybe you have you have grandchildren that you can invest in. If you can, do it. Maybe. Maybe that's not a possibility for you. Maybe you've been cut off from your family for for, for, reason, for all kinds of reasons. Maybe you don't have your family around. If that's true, even if it's not true, either way, which if you've got a ton of family around or you don't have any family around, either way, I want you to look around your church family. Have you seen how many little arrows we have flying around? This place is a mess. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. You can use your, I'm tripping over people all the time who are, who are two foot tall or, or less. We got arrows all over the place. And, 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 and we want them, when they get ready to fly... We want them to be shaped and fashioned by the Word of God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God. When they fly out of here, I want them, we want them to be poised and ready to to joyfully, faithfully follow Jesus Christ, come what may. And just because you're not biologically related to them doesn't mean you're not spiritually related to them. So the Lord is using you right now. He has you here among us for a reason. Will you help us get them ready? Will you look for opportunities to encourage these little arrows flying all over the place? You will encourage them. The word of God. The grace of God. The gospel for the glory of God. So the second restful thought, get some sleep. You have much meaningful work to do. And then, last one. Last restful thought, you, 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 if you are in Christ, you are the beloved of the Lord. You are the beloved of the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you, if you believe the gospel, if you belong to Jesus, if God has done that gracious work in your heart and in your life, then the Lord loves you. He loves you. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. People say that. I don't know who needs to hear this. You all need to hear it. I need to hear it. The Lord loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The Lord loves you. If you are in Christ, you may very well, and you probably do, feel guilty because of your failings as a parent. If you don't feel guilty for your failings as a parent, you can have some of my guilt. All right? I will share it with you because it is heavy. It is heavy. There are times where the the last thing I do for the day, closing out the day, is I lose my temper with my children in sinful ways. Then I go to bed. This is great. Wonderful. Yay, me. You may feel guilty because of your failings as as a parent, but you don't stand guilty before God. You don't. You are His beloved. If you believe the gospel, if you turn to, the, to what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins you've committed, if you believe the gospel, then, then Jesus Christ covers you. He takes away your guilt. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to earn anything. I mean, we're going to join Paul and we're going to say, I work harder than anybody I know. I'm working as hard as I can, but I know it's the grace of God at work in me. I'm going to live my life according to the, the glory of the gospel, for the honor of the gospel, the best I know how but I'm also going to sleep hard because the Lord loves me. If I had a great day, if I had a cruddy day, the Lord loves me. And he loves me because of Jesus. He doesn't love me because of how awesome a dad I am. I am his beloved. You are his beloved. Believe it. Get some rest. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the psalm. It, it reminded me afresh of ways I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to, I want to lead a meaningful life. And so it was a psalm that needed to be wrestled with this week for me. I thank you that you, that you said in this psalm what I needed to hear, that I needed to labor, that I needed to labor, that I'm responsible to labor that, that I want that I need to think of my children as as great blessings from you blessings that, that 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 I want to to shape and to fashion by the word of God into arrows doing maximum damage for the glory of God for the kingdom of God the seriousness the seriousness of that it almost overwhelms me and so I thank you that In the midst of all of that is the reminder that for reasons that only you fully know, I am your beloved. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.